Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is DJ Fuji. DJ is a social arts instructor and lifestyle coach. His company, The Tao of DJ Fuji, has coached thousands of men and women in his workshops since 2007. He's been featured in the New York Times, VH1, MTV, and The Dr. Phil Show. DJ, I've known you for a long time, and your coaching is a little bit different than all the coaching that's out there. Can you talk to me a little bit about like, on what you guys do and how you do it? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, our background and, you know, kind of the, the methodologies we have, the philosophies we have, um, differ a little bit. A lot of that is, is that even though we're dating coaches, because we are, you know, we don't do the kind of the weekend boot camp. we do personal mentorship. So it's very one-on-one, it's very personal. So it's not necessarily like, let me show you what to say, um, or just that. A lot of times we delve a lot deeper because we're working with guys, you know, sometimes over the course of three to five, some seven years. In that time, you have the ability to go really deep into what's causing the problem. And most guys come to us and they, there's some problem with their dating life. And a lot of times, it's, you know, it's an issue that we've been through or that, you know, we have a lot of experience with and that, you know, we've personally, you know, gone through. And when you get really deep into it, it's usually an internal thing. It's a, a sense of, of worthiness, a sense of like self-worth or it's a sense of self-esteem. Um, a lot of, th- of it's, it's confidence issues. It's uh, traumatic psychological issues. And, and we have psychological people on staff for that. And so we really get into the core of the problem instead of trying to patch things over the top. And we do that through a variety of techniques. And so we'll do some of that is technological. So uh, one of the things that we'll do is we, we strap heart rate monitors on guys, which just sounds psycho, but it makes sense because what we do is we put them through a variety of social, because a lot of guys don't really know what's scaring them or what's causing issues, right? At the core, they just know like, oh, like I freeze up around women or something, right? So we'll put this heart rate monitor on the guy. We'll track his heart rate monitor, his, his heart rate uh, across time. And what we'll do is we'll simulate a ton of different scenarios with like a hot female assistant. And it, she'll put him through all these different scenarios where it's like he approaches her, she flirts with him, he flirts with her, she touches him, whatever, right? And then we track that according to where his heart rate is. When we see that spike, it tells us what's going on. It tells us where he's at, he's at and, and what's causing the anxiety. Then we can move backwards from there and say, okay, this is where he's super nervous. This is what's causing it consistently. He says it's around women, but it's actually when he has to show interest in women because he feels vulnerable or whatever, right? So we do that. We mic guys up so we can hear. It, the funny thing is people think, oh, you just, you know, you can hear what he's saying in field or what he's doing and talking to girls. It's actually just as important to hear his internal dialogue because the funny thing is that when we forget we're mic'd up, we, for, we don't think anybody's listening, we talk to ourselves all the time. And in a, in a scenario like this or in an environment like this where you know, we're talking to ourselves, but a lot of our internal dialogue comes out because we're just kind of muttering to ourselves. As coaches, we can hear that and we can identify then you know, what the, some of the issues, the problems are, and then we can then address that as well as, you know, the tactical stuff involved in, in hearing what he's saying to women, hearing how he's saying that, his delivery, his tonality, hearing what she's saying, being able to record that, take notes, and uh, and make adjustments accordingly. It's cool. So like a guy's approaching girls and he's like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this. So you can hear him kind of that conversation he, he has with himself, even through just kind of these kind of off 
hand comments that he makes yeah. uh, or, or grunts or whatever. Right. And uh, now that's actually kind of, uh, it's actually fascinating. So what, what are some of the things that you find are co- the most common anxieties that, that the men, men that you coach have? Um, it really runs the gamut, man. Um, like we've had so many different, um, different scenarios. Like a guy is, it's funny cause every time we coach someone, everyone thinks like, Oh God, like I'm like, I have this huge issue with women or whatever. I'm scared of this and this. And it's like everything that comes up, it's like, dude, I know that sounds weird, but we've seen that like a hundred times. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, I mean, the common ones are obviously, you know, anxiety around women. It's past traumatic experiences with women. Uh, I know even for myself, um, I can identify with a lot of these things because, you know, we've, I had, didn't have the greatest childhood in terms of like experience with women. I had, you know, in, in seventh or eighth grade, I think I asked some girl to dance and like mustered up all my courage, which in retrospect, I was like the biggest dork. So I don't even know what I was thinking, but I was just like cute girl to dance and like, she runs away from me. Like, not like, no, not like, oh, I have a boyfriend. Like she runs, just doesn't say anything. She just looks at me like horrified, like runs into the bathroom and our friends laugh, right? Like that's traumatic. Like I get that. You know what I mean? Like I've been through that. I remember like how much that sucks. Well, that follows you through your life. And so a lot of times, and so, you know, later on down the line, um, something triggers that and you freak out or, or multiple things trigger that say, you know, when you're about to approach a girl, those feelings go through your head. Right. Yeah. Or I had a, I had a girl in the, in my past who like, like, I mean, we were like 11 or something, but she like pretended to like me so that her friends could all laugh at me. Like it was like from a movie. It's, it, it almost seems like, right. But like, I see guys that go through that and they kind of like forget about that. They like push it out of their head or they, they kind of like bury it. And then, but you see these symptoms over and over again, you know, worthiness issues or women don't ever like me, or I can't, you know, open up to women. I can't connect with women because they'll hurt me or whatever. And, you know, you see the symptoms and then you got to kind of go deep and you got to go into it and then realize that was caused by these, these types of things in the past. And that's when you have to, to kind of identify the source and then come to terms with that, accept that and, uh, and move forward from that. This is really great, great stuff. We often tell our clients that, kind of good experiences lead to good expectations, good expectations lead to good emotions and the inverse is also true. So bad experiences lead to bad expectations, bad expectations lead to bad emotions. So like if a guy has a bad experience with a, a, with women, he'll start to expect that, especially if it happens over and over and over, or if it was just really traumatic, he'll expect that he'll continue to have bad experiences. And then that will lead to like negative uh, emotional associations with whatever it is that, he's doing in, in this case, uh, approaching women or, or trying to move things intimately with women. And, uh, as a consequence of that, we, people develop, uh, different, all kinds of different, uh, behaviors, isolation, anger, resentment. Um, there's just a whole bunch of them. And then they result, they kind of leads into this like negative, uh, like, uh, these negative anxieties that go back and, and feed more negative experiences, negative expectations, negative emotions, and then people fall into depression. And, right. uh, I think that's, I think you kind of absolutely nailed it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how you, you kind of start, uh, your class, your classes? Like what, what's the first thing that you do when you kind of sit down with a, a client for the first time? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I, usually like we do coaching both in person and, um, you know, over the internet, over Skype and everything, um, through like a video cast. So it kind of depends on, you know, what we're doing in what environment. But generally the, one of the first things we do is we get 
it's just like an intake form in like therapy. It's you get their basic biographical information. What you're looking for is a baseline. Mm-hmm. You're looking for, you know, where did they grow up? What was it like? What were their hobbies like? What's their relationship with their parents? Um, any siblings? And you'd be surprised at how many, especially when you've been doing this uh, that long, you can kind of predict what's happening based on their background. Uh, you can predict kind of what's like what the issues are going to be or, you know, what um, uh, what's going to cause the main problems. And then um, you go through, you get that background information. And that's really important because that kind of tells you what you're working with. Um, because some guys, you know, it, before we started doing that, we would work with a guy just kind of off the cuff, whatever. And then, you know, three months into it, he's like, oh, I, I didn't mention I was autistic. Oh, yeah, I am. And you're like, well, that's why, you know, like hopefully the coach can identify it at that point because we deal with it so often. But, but um, you know, high-functioning autism, formerly Asperger's, is um, something that like if you don't know what the symptoms are or what the signs are, it can range from he's a little bit off to like there's something wrong with him, but you just you don't know. For it sure. just seems like he's awkward, right? So, you know, a, a lot of times uh, – Dealing with you know a variety of different symptoms and everything, um, we have to be very adept at at figuring out what that is, and you know also hopefully the um, you know the client is honest with us as well, because that can speed things up in terms of diagnosis and and working around things. Yeah, I mean that, that makes sense. It's funny because as you were talking about that, I was thinking exactly um, exactly about autism. My youngest brother is autistic, and uh, I know that we do get clients who are on the spectrum, and I don't know. I probably diagnosed five or six people. Um, with, with kind of autism and it's always like a funny kind of awkward thing you, you ask somebody do you have disabilities because you kind of sense it as a coach and you can t- usually tell by the tone of somebody's voice uh, the way they make eye contact you pick stuff you just kind of pick stuff up and I agree if uh, like if someone's listening and they're looking for coaching it makes it a lot easier for the coach if uh, if you tell them um, you're honest about whatever it is that's going on with you and uh, it'll be helpful it'll be easier to troubleshoot kind of troubleshoot whatever the challenges are. Um, I think that, I mean, I think this is absolutely great. What, what are like, you take somebody, you, you pick somebody up and you, um, you, you go out with them for the first time you've done like kind of your baseline. I'm assuming that you've probably gone through their goals, right? Like, you know, where they're yeah. at, you know, where, uh, you want to take them. Um, mm-hmm. you start developing a plan on how you're going to get them to where they want to be. Um, what is, what is um like what what is that that process like for you guys? Well, it varies obviously from from person to person. Um, what you described is exactly what we do though. Is it's the way I like to describe it is um, you're a guy generally who comes to us because you're trying to get from point A to point B. Um, you just have no map. You just don't know how to get there. For sure. Um, you just you know where you want to be, and you kind of are vaguely aware of where you're at. You just don't. What you need is GPS. You need a set of step-by-step directions, or I guess MapQuest for us old timers who uh, who were around before GPS, <laughs> and just a set of step-by-step directions on where to turn, where to go to get to my final destination. And then guys are always like, "Well, how long does it take to get there?" I'm like, "Well, that's just simple math, right? You have velocity, you have time, and you have distance. Adjust any of the other variables, and time adjusts as well. So it's how fast you work, and you know where you're starting from, and how far you have to go." You know, a guy that's that's going from California to Las Vegas is going to get there a lot faster than a guy from going California to China. So it just depends on, you know, how far your path is. And that's dictated by where you're starting with as well as, you know, where your goals are. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, how we start that off. And, and what we want to do is a lot of guys come to us and they want us to kind of 
Uh, they want to like be like us. And, and we always tell them like, look, the goal here is to figure out what's going to make you happy. For sure. Right. What's, what, what do you really like? If you could take away all of external validation, like everyone loved you all the time. Right. What would you do? Like, what would your life look like? And, and that's really where we identify what's going to make the client happy and, and what his goals are and, and help him to come to, to where he wants to be, you know, to figure that out. And then from there we can help him to get that. And sometimes, you know, in this industry has matured so much in, in just the last, you know, 10 years or even the last five years that I'm glad we're no longer kind of in this, like, everyone's got to be this like master player in the club. Like I always tell my guys, look, we go to clubs and I know that can be sleazy sometimes with the club scene and, you know, all, all that's associated with it. But you have to understand we go to clubs for one reason and one reason only because it is a dojo. It is a place where there's padded walls and there's padded floor and I can throw you on your head and you will not get hurt. Yeah. Because in any other environment, you do what we do and you will get arrested. You cannot walk up to 10 women in Starbucks and try to like practice getting comfortable with physical contact with them. You will get security called. Like yeah. they just, you can't do that. Right. Just like you can't throw yourself on, I, I can't throw you on your head in, on concrete and expect there to be no consequences. Like it doesn't work. You have to have a safe padded environment where you can try things over and over and over again, make mistakes and all is forgiven. And that's why we do those environments. Yeah. I was working with a guy who worked for Goldman Sachs and I, I was talking to him about this subject and he goes, I don't think I want to meet the woman of my dreams in a bar. And I was like, right. no shit. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, well, then why do we go to bars? I'm like, I can't have you practice with the women on gold at Goldman. Exactly. You're, right. you're going to get, fi you get fired <laughs> yeah. and then you're going to sue me. Like, it's just not, right. it's not okay. So we go out and practice environments where there's not really like any, like any serious consequences if you say something goofy or stupid or like, I mean, I'm going to give you a framework so that you don't like touch a girl, like in a way that's completely inappropriate, like that you're not going to get, if you're out with me, you're safe, man. Like, so, yeah. um, so I think that's a great, a great way to, to describe this. Um, what do you think some of the most common goals are for guys who are coming through, through, uh, through your, your courses? Um, I think one thing that, that pops up over and over again that I, don't, I think a lot of people don't really articulate in their head um, until they sit down with us is guys want, uh, at least some of the guys that, a lot of the guys that, you know, join our, our program or work with us, guys want options and they want um, to not feel lonely. They want to feel not feel powerless. Um, and that's a theme that we see over and over again in that. We have, you know, guys that are 30 and 40 year old virgins. We have guys that, or guys that, you know, they've, they've been on a dry spell. They just haven't been on a date in five, maybe 10 years. Uh, or guys that just, you know, they're terrified of women or whatever. And there's a sense of like emasculation and powerlessness that comes along with that with, you know, I, and I, and I know that from personal experience, uh, you know, when I was a student at this, like, it's so, um, disheartening to realize that like Friday is coming up everyone's excited because they have dates and they're going to go with friends and they're going to do all the stuff and whatever. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to like sit at home and like watch movies to, to, to pass the time. Like that's a, a scenario that like played through for me for a long time. Um, and this is, you know, I had a good job. I had bought a, my own house. Like I drove a nice car. Like it wasn't like I was like living in my mom's house in my, her basement, like playing world of Warcraft. Like I had my life together seemingly in, in every other area. It's just when you don't have social skills, that means you don't have friends. Uh, and that means if you move to a sit new city, you don't even have childhood friends. And you don't have, you know, girls that you can go out with. You don't have dates. You don't have, 
you know, a social circle. You don't have any of that. So weekends are very lonely. And, and a lot of the guys, you know, um, a lot of people, when they, when they get out of high school, they get out of the college environment, they're like, oh, crap, you know, I moved to wherever, you know, this new city to work, and I don't know what to do now. I don't know how to get dates. I don't know how to whatever. Some of these guys have never been on dates. You know, some of them don't have the first clue on how to get them or whatever. And so that, that sense of, like, I just don't have any control in my life, any, any power in terms of I couldn't get a date if I wanted to. Um, I, I couldn't have a girlfriend if I wanted to. Um, or that sense of loneliness of, you know, i have 30 years old and I've never been on a date. I've never held a girl's hand. Like it, it, and you don't just, the problem is that you can't admit that to anyone. I remember like being in the Marine Corps and feeling so goddamn lonely and you're like, okay, yeah, I was surrounded by like 80 dudes, but like lonely in the sense of like, I've never held a girl's hand yeah. and it's just, it's so lonely, but you can't say anything. Like you can't like, I can't like tell my Marine buddies about, you know what I mean? So you can't open up to that and it gets really depressing. And you just get older, you get more embarrassed about it. Right. So like, I know yeah. like I was kind of a late bloomer. So like, as I got older, I didn't, I was worried that people were going to find out like I'd never kissed a girl or that I'd never had sex. And yeah. so what happens, and I've seen this with clients, especially clients who have limited experience or no experience, uh, they start avoiding situations because they're worried they're going to get discovered. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and this is kind of, I mean, this is a real problem for some of the people who will be, who, who will be listening to this podcast and, and, uh, but like something that's great, like uh, if you guys, for the people who are listening here in this situation, something that you will discover is that things like kissing and sex are, are pretty natural. And so once you start actually getting in the game, uh, you'll pick it up very quickly. It's just uh, a lot of it's really kind of about listening to marrying, marrying her. But uh, uh, so if you're out there and you're listening to this, there is hope. Um, a lot of us have been through kind of what you're going through and uh, um, the stuff that you're you're stressing out now that seems like it's a major deal you'll discover is really not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want, you want to talk about maybe some ideas for guys out there. They're just starting out. Um, they don't know where to begin. Like what do they do first? Um, I think the first thing, at least the first mentality, it's something that like, you know, we've heard over and over and over again in the industry. Um, and it's as coaches, we've obviously we've been around for a while. And so like we've heard this like pounded through our head and like students have heard it too, but like it's it's just one of those things where like we hear it so many times, but nobody fucking listens. Like nobody just like nobody actually like takes it seriously. Nobody actually like does it, and it just continues to cause problems. And I have to like hammer this into my guys' heads like every single like day when I'm coaching because it's so easy to forget. It's it's just like. It's like, don't take heroin, and there's heroin in front of you, and you're addicted, and you take it. It's, it's one of those things. And, and that idea is this concept of outcome independence, this concept of you're not out to get the girl. Stop trying to get the girl. Yeah. Like, and it's weird because it's a kind of contradictory thing because the reason we're in this is to paradox. not be lonely or to get yeah. a girl or whatever. But it's, yeah, it's a weird Zen thing, but you can't go out to get the girl. And the funny thing is, is... Yeah, I've been playing Counter-Strike on and off for like the last like, I don't know, like 10 years or whatever, right? <laughs> and I was never like super good or anything, but I was like, I just played it with my friends or whatever, right? But, um, you know, on Reddit, on the internet, whatever, there's like a competitive scene. There's like a pro scene. And so sometimes I'll follow it. I'll like watch interviews with the guys. And it's so funny because when you watch interviews and the same thing applies to like, I'm sure it applies to World of Warcraft. It definitely applies to the Street Fighter 
like tournament thing. And there's like a competitive scene where they like compete for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I've gone to the tournaments. It's crazy. Um, and, but they all say the same thing. And it's, it's so mirrors what we're doing. It's that they say, whether it's Street Fighter or Counter-Strike or whatever, they always say you win your tournaments or you get results in this not by playing people. You get results by training. Yeah. Stop trying to win the match. Stop trying to win the round and start working on getting better at this. So in Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike, for those of you guys that aren't familiar, it's like a first-person shooter. It's like Call of Duty, right? And it's been around for, I don't know, like 15, 20 years or something. And it's really, really competitive. It's very teamwork-based. There's a lot to it. But everyone makes the same mistake in kind of that newbie phase, which is when people are trying to get good at the game, what they do is they go and they play games. They go and they like play with their friends and they play online and now whatever. And the pros, when you listen to the interview, it's so funny because they say the same thing we say, which is if you want to get good at this, stop worrying about winning and stop, start worrying about getting better. Yeah. Because if you don't focus on getting better and getting better means not playing games, it means sitting there in offline mode with like nobody around in the map and throwing this fucking a million grenades at the same wall to try to get the freaking timing down exactly, right? That's boring, nobody wants to do that. Like in Street Fighter, it's like playing training mode, doing the same combo a million times because you have to have a 1 60th of a second timing to pull that off. Like that's boring, people don't do that. But that's what the pros do and that's why they get results. And in, in dating, that's what we do. Like you can't sit there and be like, I wanna get the girl, get the girl, get the girl, it's all about getting the girl, whatever. Because what happens, you focus on that result and that result is short term. It's short-term thinking, it's a one girl, and you don't focus on improving the overall skill set. So as a result, whether you get the girl or not, you didn't get any better. So when you look at it long-term, over the course of say five years, a guy, like you could have two guys, and one guy only focuses on getting the girl, at the end of five, year, five years, hopefully he's gotten some girls, but his skill level is exactly the same. Yeah. So if he goes out and he bombs nine out of 10 approaches and he gets lucky on one statistically, right? One out of 10 girls will like maybe talk to him. In five years, he will end up at exactly the same place at approaching 10 girls and if he's lucky, one will talk to him. Whereas the other guy, he focuses on getting better and he focuses on improving his, his everything, his skill set, fashion, his the belief system, confidence, everything. What happens at the end of like five or 10 years, uh, hopefully sooner, but even at that point, he's gonna be just skill-wise a lot better. So he's not gonna approach 10 girls and get blown up by nine out of 10 girls. He's gonna approach 10 girls and seven of them will talk to him. And as a result, at the end of that five-year period or whatever the period is, he's gonna be more skilled and be a more attractive person, tactically, in fashion, and confidence, in all these areas, and he's gonna get better results because he's a more attractive guy at that point. He's not a guy who's just trying to get a result from somebody or something. So that's one of the things like people don't get, and every guy, see, you see this in the field, you see this in everyone in the industry, people are constantly, and you even see that with, the worst things I see that with coaches, because I see coaches that exacerbate the problem. I see like company names called like, like fuck the skill set, get like the hot girl tonight. It's not, that's not a company, but, but like there's company names just like that. And I'm like, dude, like you're exacerbating this problem of outcome dependence with guys. This is why guys get nervous. This is why guys have problems with this. And this is why guys quit because they're trying to focus on the girl and not getting better. And over the long haul, that doesn't work. 
you just get depressed and it seems like you're not getting anywhere and you don't get better, you don't get the results and then you give up. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I agree 100%. Essentially, this is a skill set, right? And so one of the examples that we'll, off, we'll use, and uh, I pulled this originally from like a sales coach or something from years ago, and, uh, and I think it applies. And he was talking about closing, and I think the same thing applies around dating. He goes, I want you to imagine a triangle. And the tip of the triangle is the maximum level of your capacity, Right. So for example, in, uh, in this, in this, uh, as it relates to kind of like dating or picking up women. So the top of that triangle is your, the, the, the top, the best that you actually do. It's like that, the cutest girl that you have ever got her phone number or ever dated or whatever. And so guys constantly focus on like trying to, uh, try to kind of like focus on just that, like that top, top part portion of the triangle. And instead of increasing the base of their triangle, right? Like increasing the size or capacity of their skill sets. And what happens is as you build a bigger triangle, you increase your experiences. As you said, make yourself a more attractive person. What you'll find is what used to be the top of your triangle is like now at the bottom or lower or halfway up your triangle. And the type of girls that you used to fantasize about are the type of girls that you're now around on a daily basis. Um, or the type of people that you're around on a daily basis because you think you focused on skill sets. So I, I think this is so incredibly kind of important, um, such an important concept to think about. What, what do you think are some of the major kind of components that guys need to focus on? I mean, you talked a little bit about kind of outcome dependence, but core skill sets. What do you think are some of the core skill sets that the listeners who are starting out should be focused on? I mean, it really depends on where the guy's coming from. That's why we do a lot of personalized stuff because one guy's strength is another guy's weakness. Uh, I think if we looked at the averages or we looked at like the 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 total numbers and like what's most common um, across like like a major metropolitan area, right? New York, L.A., Miami, whatever. Um, I think one of the first things is 
um, get your life together, get your appearance together, get your finances together, like get the, the major things, get the major like roadblocks. So like, like if you live like under a bridge, right? Like I don't care how good you are. The moment you bring a girl there, it's not going to work. So like get the major roadblocks taken care of first. Um, and then, you know, let's say, let's say your life is pretty normal. Um, and you know, you're just starting out. Um, I would say, Appearance is a big thing, so clean that up. That means uh, grooming. That means fashion. That means uh, you know how you dress, how you present yourself. Why, why is that important? It's important because the first impression, as we say in the Marine Corps, is the lasting impression, and the, your first impression is what people kind of they create this mental image of you in their head, and everything after that gets filtered through that image. So, Bill Gates could be the greatest freaking like basketball player ever as a senior, right, senior citizen, but no one will ever see him outside of that, of that Bill Gates Microsoft thing, you know what I mean? Like, at this point, he's not even involved in Microsoft. Like, he's a freaking philanthropist. But who says Bill Gates a philanthropist? They say, no, Bill Gates Microsoft, right? So your first impression is, it's not something you can't change, but it is something that, like, it definitely filters things. And so as much as I would like to say that everything's a meritocracy and, you know, people won't judge you on your first appearance and blah, 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 that's just the nature of the beast. That's how the world works. And so some of my guys will try to approach a woman and they'll be dressed like whatever, super dorky or something. And I tell the guys, look, so I, I coach like a lot of Asian guys, right? Because they identify with me. And a guy will come up and, and he'll show up and he'll be dressed super dorky. And I'm like, okay, it's cool. But you got to realize you walking up to a woman dressed like that and this is really politically incorrect, is the equivalent of a black guy walking into Wall Street with dreadlocks and wearing rapper pants and like pants sagging and walking in and trying to get a white collar job. Now that's not politically correct, but it's true. We all know what's gonna happen in that scenario. He's not gonna get through the first fucking screening interview. It's not gonna happen. Not even because he's not qualified. It's not gonna happen because he's getting stereotyped based on what people, these people's preconceived notions are. So. You have to look the part, and you have to dress the part, and you have to, you know, groom the part. And if you want a woman who takes care of herself, I'm assuming you don't want some 600-pound woman who doesn't wear makeup and doesn't dress nice, right? If you want a woman who takes care of herself, what makes you think she doesn't want a guy who takes care of himself as well, right? A guy who, who knows how to present himself. So it's kind of like that's one of the first things that, that we work on and you know because that's the first thing people notice about you um, and then we complement that obviously with uh, the, the big thing is uh, quantity of approaching and again this comes back to skill set um, most guys just don't approach enough they just don't have enough training under the belt to get better uh, most guys are not doing the quantity of approaches they need if you're trying to get better at this if this is something that like the core skill set is something you're not good at like you can't walk up to a girl and instantly make her laugh. You can't walk up to a girl and create sexual tension. You can't walk up to a girl and uh, uh, create attraction or connect with her, or get to know her. And if that's, those aren't things that you were born with or you just you have right now, what you need is massive experience. So if you're not out approaching 30 women a week, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's like trying to get good at tennis, but you go and you practice tennis for like 10 minutes a month. Like it doesn't work. You don't get any results that way. You don't get better at tennis. You certainly don't get better at competitive tennis. And that's what most of the guys in this are trying to do. They're trying to be competitive. They're trying to take this seriously. They're trying to get good at a skill set in a few years that inherently is competitive. So same thing. If you're trying to get good at tennis in a few years, you can't screw around for 10 minutes a week and then be like, yeah, I'll get good. Like you have to take this seriously. When you do that, it means you're going to have to go out and approach 20, 30 women a week 
And if that means you get 20 or 30 rejections a week, that's what you have to do because that's the only way you grow. That's the only way you learn. And you learn from those mistakes. And in, in, a, in a coaching program, that's where you rapidly learn from those mistakes and you have someone that walks you through, okay, this is what you do next time or walks you through even sometimes in field, this is what you do right now. This is great, but can, can you talk a little bit more about some specific stuff? Like you talked about, you talked about quantity of approaches, but can you talk about some specific strategies, for example, on how to build sexual tension? I, w- I want to go through kind of each of these, um, but like, how do you guys teach building sexual tension? Sexual tension is something that like always plagued me when I was a student, because in like 2005, no one taught that. Like, it was just like, do magic tricks. She likes you, get her in bed. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, well, she doesn't think of me like that. And like, we never knew why. And it's because there's no sexual tension. So a lot of that is built in the same way that physical tension is built guy to guy. So like, you're in a club, there's some guy who's like mean mugging you. Like, how is physical tension built? It's built through eye contact. It's built through physical proximity, how close you are to the guy, it, like physically, like, like, like is he in your face, right? It's the same things that build that kind of tension are often the same things that build sexual tension on the woman, um, just less the violent issues, right? So what that means is that a lot of guys aren't close enough to her. So if, she, I mean, again, you have to preserve her comfort levels, but if she's comfortable being closer to you, you have to close distance. You can't build sexual tension like across the street. Like you have to get closer to her. And a lot of guys are afraid of that because they're afraid of that rejection. Again, coming back to, you've got to get rejected 30 times a week. When you do that after six months, you don't care anymore. You're just like, I, I'm not out to get this girl. I'm out to get better. And so you're okay with that. So closing distance, um, strong eye contact, um, Humor is one of the things that builds, it can, like it can also destroy sexual tension if you use it at the wrong time. But being able to make a girl laugh and, you know, being able to get closer to her, being able to connect with her because of that, it opens doors for you. Can you talk about making girls laugh? Like what are some things, I mean, what are some things that listeners can do to kind of begin to understand humor? That's actually something that came up in the office today. The interns were asking about uh, what, what recommendations do you have? Yeah, humor is one of the, dude, it's one of the things that, I guess it's humor and maybe sexual tension are one of the most revolutionary new uh, topics that like in my journey I discovered and was pissed that nobody was able to teach me that because we didn't teach that back in the day. And um, it's because it's so powerful because it's so hard to teach. Nobody either really teaches it or wants to teach it because it's it's so hard. You can't teach that. You can't make a guy funny in a weekend and then, you know, and have him do that. But it's so effective and you see almost every natural out there has that ability. So it's something that I have all my guys work on. So we have, we have uh, workbooks and we have, um, we have exercises that we go through. And here's the thing. Humor is one of the greatest hacks to social communication. It's a hack in the sense that humor is, um, it instantly makes people trust you and like you. And I don't know why that is, and I'm sure there's like some complex scientific explanation for that, but it makes people like you and trust you. When they should, when they they have no necessary reason to otherwise, and if people think of alcohol as like the social lubricant, humor is a much much better social lubricant than alcohol ever will be. And alcohol, is, as we know, is pretty powerful because um, humor makes people instantly like you. And if you've ever been in a club and just whatever, you're just hanging out with your friends or whatever, and some guy comes up and you're like, whatever. Like even if you're just all with dudes, right? Some guy comes up, you don't want to talk to some random guy. You're like out with your friends or whatever, right? Maybe you're like looking at girls and some random guy comes up. We don't necessarily want to talk to some random guy. If that guy is hilarious, we don't care if that guy is gay, straight, rich, poor, whatever. We want to hang out with him. 
Like, why? Like, that's weird for one factor to do that. It's that's how powerful humor is. And so you multiply that by 100. That's the impact you're getting with women. So in terms of like how to do that, right? Developing your sense of humor is something that like if you don't already have that factor, this is going to take three to five years. If you can't hack that, that sounds like too much work or whatever. Give it up. Like, forget it. Don't even do this. Like, go pick up tennis or something because this is inherently not this idea of getting better with dating and with communication, or whatever. It's a long-term process. You've got to be okay with that. Let's say you're on board with that. Let's say you're like, okay, I'm ready to go, Fuji. What do I, what do, I do here? The first thing I would say is go to a stand-up comedy class. Go to a, take a stand-up comedy class, take a improv class, take, like, look up, like, like uh, we have a, a book that we go through called the, uh, the comedy workbook. And it, works you through, like, if you're like, like, I was like an idiot. Like, I didn't know anything about humor. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know what sarcasm was. I was just clueless, like semi-autistic, right? And so I had to learn from the very baseline, like from the very, from the ground, like level zero, what humor was. Like, I could, I wasn't at the point where like, I didn't laugh when I watched a stand-up comedian. I just had no idea what he was doing. And I didn't know how to mirror that. Like, something as simple as like, your friends are like, that's what she said. Like, I didn't get how to do that. It didn't, like, when he said it, I was like, okay, that's kind of funny, but, like, didn't have any idea how that started. And that's simple misinterpretation. So you learn the structures of humor, and humor, like anything else, it's a skill set. You learn those structures, and you practice them all the time. So you get on stage, and you do stand-up comedy, right? You go and you do improv performances, even though you, it seems like you look silly or whatever, right? You go and you learn these things, and then you supplement that with the things that you're learning in field. And so sometimes you're going to get called out. You're going to be practicing. And I can't count the number of times I've been practicing material and a girl's like, are you a standard comedian? Like, that's not a good thing. That means that you're, you're being weird. But you're practicing your new stuff, and it's okay. Um, you're practicing material. You're practicing delivery. You're practicing developing a sense of humor. And when you get that, the thing is, like, guys are like, is that worth it? You know, like, you're doing all this stuff and blah, whatever. It takes all the years. Here's the thing. Like, this is how I look at it. Your ROI, your return on investment, is like the next 50 years. Like this is something that will benefit you and enrich your life in almost every social relationship you're gonna have for the next 40 to 60 years. Absolutely it's worth it. Like anything that has a 50 year payoff, a 50 year ROI is pretty much gonna be worth it. And so that's why we spend so much time on it. That's why we, we really hammer that and we really work, work on that because the payoff is so big even outside of relationships, outside of, of dating. I, I think that makes total sense. I think that's really cool. You guys have a comedy workbook. Can you kind of walk me through maybe an exercise that you guys would do that comes out of that book? Yeah. So one of the things um, we have guys um, keep a journal of, um, of sound bites, right? And so we've all been around like funny people. Like, I wasn't a naturally funny guy. Like I was just this quiet, shy Asian kid. And so, but I, I had friends that were funny, right? Or when I got into this, um, I had a lot of like wingmen that were like naturals um, and I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know why they hung out with me, but probably because I was aggressive, because I approached, even though I wasn't good at it. So when you hang out with these guys, though, they're really funny. It's also really depressing, because they always take girls home, and you're always lonely, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you get there eventually. <coughs> and so the, um, you hear these guys saying funny stuff, and the first thing you, and at the time, I didn't know, you know what was going on. I just remember thinking, like, that sucks. I'll never be able to do that. But I started writing things down. Like I started writing down everything funny they said, these little like funny sound bites here and there, thinking like maybe I can use those in the future, right? And so it was like super dorky because we'd be at a party and a guy would say, one of my friends would say something and everyone would laugh and like whip my phone out, <laughs> like writing stuff down, right? Things this guy said. And um, over time, what I, what I realized is that 
you, when you do this, you write down funny things that people say, like witty little sayings or whatever, right? What happens is your brain starts to, to figure out the patterns. And you start to realize this isn't some like mystical Disney freaking fairy tale, like where like you have this magical power that like brings, you know, funny things into your head. Like there's a pattern to this. This guy's doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not like, you know, only one pattern. There's hundreds of patterns, but you start to pick up the patterns and you're like, I can do that too. This is all he's doing. He's misinterpreting ABC or whatever. And so by writing stuff down, one of the first things I tell my guys, write everything funny down and start categorizing them categorize like the context, categorize, like write down the date he said it, write down who said it, write down like what kind of thing you think this like takes place in or, or when you can use this. And when you categorize, you start to see the same patterns. Like if you ever watch Chris Rock, his humor is always the same. It's exaggeration and it's situational like humor where he, he talks about things that we all are aware of, right? And that, that don't make sense or that are, are absurd. Um, and he does the same things over and over again. Like he just had the BET awards and he gets on stage and he's like, he's talking about Donald, Donald Sterling. And he's like, he's like, so let me get this straight. We have an 87 year old white man and he doesn't like black people. Why is this news? Right? And everyone laughs because everyone gets like, oh yeah, like that's, we should have thought about that. Right? And you'll see him throughout this monologue. If you guys go online and you Google it, you can watch this monologue. He does that same structure over and over and over again. And it's, it's continually funny. But because the subject matter is different, people don't realize, unless you really get into it, that's the same thing over and over again. Like he has a, the, the next joke, in, even in that sequence, talks about like how Donald Sterling doesn't like want his woman hanging out with black basketball players. And Chris Rock is like, me neither. <laughs> and like, it's fun, but it's, it's, if you think about it, that's the same structure. It's calling attention to the situation that we all kind of are aware of and calling attention to something absurd about it. it. Once you know that structure, you can use that structure too. So by writing those things down, by going through that, you'll, and by identifying you know, what type of structure is this or what similarities here, you'll start to pick up those patterns and you, they'll be available for your use as well. And over time, you'll get good at using those too. And then people, the, the, it'll really hit you when one day someone's like, dude, how do you do that? Like how, how, like, how is it that you have like these funny things to say or whatever, like you always know the right thing to say and it'll dawn on you, I wasn't like this. Like I worked on this and this is a result of that. That's great. I, I think, uh, I mean, there's so many different ideas that are flowing my, th through my head. Um, I, I guess the first, first, I, I think the people who are listening, I think are probably into the, the idea of these structures. It makes me think so think this, it makes me think about conversational structures as well because they're yeah. exactly the same. But going back to this idea of comedy, since we're on it, you talked about kind of situations we're all aware of, exaggerations, misinterpretations. Can you add a couple more, uh, of these categories? Um, yeah, banter, role playing, um, like, we basically break down. I mean, there's there's not those structures of like how humor is done in the in the regular world and just kind of what we see. And there's also specific techniques um, that you can employ yourself in teaching yourself this. So um, banter, role playing, um, misinterpretation. A lot of those things are things that like misinterpretation is a huge one because that's how we do frame control as well. And that's this is the idea of like anytime you're just you're you're listening to someone, you should be listening, not just hearing. So like actually get involved with the story they're telling, put yourself in those shoes and listen to like every little detail. Do that same thing that like Jason Bourne did in the first Bourne Identity. And he walks in the diner and he like sits down with that woman or whatever, or that guy, I don't know who, remember who it was. And he's like, I don't know who I am. He's like, but I know that that guy is six feet four. 
280 pounds. He wears a size like whatever extra large shirt or something. He's got like a gun in the truck. He has like fucking military training. Or like well, all all these things. And he's like, I don't know why I know this. Right? Like from the first Born movie. Right? Go watch that scene. That's what you need to do. You need to be hyper aware of every little thing because what will happen in terms of misinterpretation is you'll see those little things you can misinterpret. So like the classic really, really easy one is start practicing that's what she said. Yes, no, it's douchey. No, it's a little overplayed. But there's a reason that frat boy type guys do that at the beginning because it teaches you the basic concept of misinterpreting. So anytime a girl is like, oh my God, it was so big or whatever. She's like, I just had five guys or whatever she's saying, you misinterpret. And it's just a one line thing, of, even if you don't say it necessarily, right? Being aware of quote unquote, that's what she said, right? That's the, um, the idea of taking what someone's saying and looking at it from different angles, different perspectives to misinterpret that, that whatever the concept is there, right? That's a really, really powerful uh, tool in your arsenal. And un if you're, unless you're like naturally good at that, you're not gonna see those things. They're just gonna completely whiz by you. So practice at the very beginning, something like that's what she said. Even if you don't say it out loud because you're at the office or something, say it in your head because it'll get you used to listening, really, really listening to what people are saying, how that can be seen, how that can be misinterpreted, um, and, and the different points of view uh, in whatever the communication is. This is great. I mean, it's funny because uh, I remember years ago I was I was uh, in a cab here in New York City and uh, this guy told me he, we were talking about like just like our jobs and life. And he talked a little bit about what he did. And then he asked me kind of what I did. And he goes, oh, I'm great with women. And that's a pretty bold thing for a guy to say, right? Except that we hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can see this guy was a brother, and uh, yeah, okay, he, good. He, he was like the way he said it, um, and and I was like, okay, what do you think are the key, keys to being great with women? And he had like he like I mean, he spoke with like heavy like slang, um, but right. one of the things he said was he's like, if I can make a shorty smile, I can sleep with a shorty. And, uh, <laughs> right. and, uh, I remember like I wrote each of these things down and I was like, actually, I think this guy is pretty good with women. Like basically he was like, I'm not scared to, to holler at a shorty. I'm right. not scared. Like, uh, if I can make a shorty laugh uh, or I can make sorry, if I can make a shorty smile, I know I can sleep with a shorty. Like yeah. he, like he had actually like a four or five step kind of logical process. And, uh, it was really simple. And actually it was like, the words were golden. If you're not scared to approach women, if you're not yeah. scared, if you're, if you're, uh, if you can make them smile, if you're not scared to, uh, to move things sexual and you're not scared to touch, you're probably in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah. So. What's funny is, is I actually have a really funny story about that. Um, I used to be terrified of, of sexual tension, of showing interest of anything, not platonic, basically anytime I wasn't in just straight platonic zone. I was terrified of that because I just didn't have any experience with it. And the way I got over that is hanging out with black guys. Really? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the most politically incorrect thing ever. But like I had these guys that like wanted to hang out and stuff. And um, I presumably they wanted to hang out with me because I was this little short, aggressive Asian guy that was probably funny to them, right? Yeah. Um, and um, it's like this five foot four guy running around like hitting on girls. Um, but in hanging out, and I didn't know this at the time, but in hanging out with those guys, you adapt to the people around you. You take on the yeah. similarities and views and mindsets of the people around you. Well, these black guys had no shame whatsoever. And they would say that. Like every time they would see me like freeze up or like like whatever, we'd, have, we'd be hanging out with girls, we'd be at a party or whatever. And like, I just wasn't comfortable. They could tell 
they would they would say like black guy sayings. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I remember one of the guys pulled me aside. He's like he's like brother, there's no shame in your game, right? And I was like that sounds really cool, but I don't know what that means. Right? But he was like he's like you can't be ashamed basically of hitting on girls. Like it's yeah. totally cool. Now me coming from like conservative Asian background, like that does not jive with what I'm what I have been taught, right? Yeah. But by being in that environment over and over and over, seeing it over and over, seeing these guys like roll down the windows in the car, hauling at girls like walking on the sidewalk, I'm like horrified, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like being in that environment over and over, you start to pick up those same mindsets and it, it eliminates that like, and at least in my culture, a ton of shame involves, because in, like it's actually shameful in Asian cultures to blatantly hit on women. Like yeah. you can't do that, that's like not allowed. And so you grow up with this shame and you hang out with these guys and it, it eliminates a lot of that and it helps so much. And that was one of the, the big turning points for me in getting over that, those, those issues. Yeah, actually, I think that's great. Um, we usually tell people you kind of got to work on, like we all live in a box, right? And our sets of kind of beliefs, our habits or whatever, this is this, this box that we live in. And you need to like basically work on destroying that box from both the inside and the outside, right? So from the inside, you do exactly the type of stuff that you're talking about, approach whatever 30 girls a week or have some specific goal that's outside your comfort zone, but also by doing things that are uh, by being around people who kind of can shatter these beliefs, who are supportive, you can see things that you don't believe are possible. Um, that will also help. And, uh, I mean, it's funny, like oftentimes we don't like, uh, we won't tell guys, to, our, our clients go hang out with kind of really touchy black guys. We'll tell them, like, go, <laughs> we'll tell them like, go take a dance class, yeah. uh, or something like that, where you're forced to touch for prolonged periods of time. Right. It's like in a normal context to get used to it. And then when you touch, then when you go actually go into a bar, it's less of a big deal. If you come from a culture where be, touching is, is, is uh, kind of deemed unacceptable or you feel ashamed, cause that is a major problem. I feel like for men in, in, in this kind of, uh, in, in our society today that, that like a lot of men are ashamed of the fact that they're men, that of their sexuality. In fact, I got a podcast scheduled about this and we were talking about last night as we're kind of d d discussing the questions. And one of the things that I commented on was, uh, even with the World Cup now, the World Cup has, like, uh, I was on Yahoo the other day and Yahoo had, it, it said, uh, instead of saying like hot girls or whatever, it said, um, photogenic fans. <laughs> and it was like really attractive women. And I thought right. to myself, like, at one point where like did people become scared to say that women are hot instead right. they're like referring to them as photogenic fans but yeah yeah um a lot of guys i think are ashamed of uh I, I know they are because i know i used to be that way i was like and i didn't realize at the time but i was ashamed of kind of of the the fact that i was a man and that i was attracted to women and i was like struggling with this like this kind of paradox right like i'm a man i want to be attracted to women i am attracted to women i want women in my life i want attractive women in my life but like it's it's also like not okay to approach women to touch them to push things forward and women and the crazy part is women want you to do that they just want you to do it in the correct way yes. and uh something else that you said i mean just like you talked about you didn't say explicitly but i think it's an important concept to, to bring out because it's kind of implied is that you only get better with women by being around women. Yeah. And, uh, the more, the more that you're around women, the more that you are kind of 
sexually active, the more comfortable you're going to get with that. Like I remember the first time a girl <laughs> grabbed my hand and held my hand. I was so shocked she grabbed my hand. <laughs> it made me feel so uncomfortable. I was in college and we were walking across this ice rink at like this student government function. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she's holding my hand in public. And she was holding my hand to get across the ice. But I was just like, <laughs> like, I mean, shocked. And, uh, but as you get better, you realize that that's such a minor deal for most women, uh, right. unless they're cut from like an Orthodox community. Like in New York, we have like, for example, somebody's like a Jewish and they're Orthodox where that like women don't touch men at all. Um, it's a major deal. But for most women in, a, in, a, in Western culture, touching their hand isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, no, this is like, I mean, really great, really great stuff. So you talked, uh, I mean, a lot about humor, which I think will be incredibly helpful uh, for the listeners. Can you talk a little bit about what, like, what are some good strategies for building attraction? Yeah. I mean, the main thing, like people always want to know, like, how do you build attraction? Right. And tactically there, there's definitely ways in which you do that. Uh, that's kind of been backed by science. The main idea but that encompasses everything which is inherently i get it it's vague it's it's not that it's not that that tactically usable but the the main overarching principle to getting attractive or attraction is being attractive so when you do things that are not attractive you destroy attraction so you can't be like well i'm like the man and like girls like me i'm really funny but like i whatever look like i'm homeless you know what i mean i like don't take showers or i you know what i mean like i'm addicted to people whatever so like the main thing is like envision yourself as like a guy, the version of yourself that is extremely attractive to people. It's the, the guy you want to be. It's the guy that like other guys like you, respect you, women are attracted to. Like what does that guy look like? What does he do? Do the things that that guy does because a lot of times attraction comes from before you ever open your mouth. And there's definitely a tactical element to this, but I mean a verbal element to this, but a lot of times it happens like on your your body language, on the way you stand, on, on, on how you enter a room, the way you communicate, the way you move. Like, there's a lot of this stuff, or sometimes the way you present yourself. Um, and a lot of that is, is, you know, there's things that are holding that back. There's, there's reasons, you know, why, you know, things aren't, aren't where they need to be. But the main principle to this is be the guy, like, act like the guy that you want to be. Like, so in your head, you have this idea of, like, what he looks like, what this version of you is going to be like. Pretend to be that guy, like dress like him now, even if you don't like, don't like, you don't know if you can pull it off, whatever. In your head, you have an idea of what that guy looks like, like the man, the guy you want to be. Dress like him, act like him, talk like him, do everything like him. If that guy doesn't freaking whatever, if he doesn't like wear white socks, like that's always the thing that we always, that we always talk about. Like we had a guy one time and he was wearing white socks with, with dress shoes and like slacks and everything. Right. And we're like, dude, what are you I, doing? I used to do that when I was young. I don't have yeah, yeah, I mean, like we all, right. And I was like, uh, he like sits down and like sees white dress socks. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? That's like a deal breaker for women. Like that's a deal breaker for me. Like I want to kick you out right now. Like sure, why are you wearing yeah. white socks? <laughs> right. And he's like, he's like, Oh, he's like, well, you know, I'm here, here just for this workshop. Like there's no girls here. I know not a big deal. He's like, when we go out tonight, I'll change whatever. Right. And I'm like, that's not the point. The point is you're walking around in your head, you're a fraud because yeah. in your head, you're like, I know what the attractive guy would do and I'm not doing it because I'm not him. So you are intentionally, cre or maybe unintentionally, you are creating a persona 
of, or you have this idea of this persona of the attractive guy, and you are, in, you are actually not being him. You are telling yourself, I'm not that guy. I'm just a dork who pretends when I go out on the weekends. But every other time, I'm like a guy who's like not really him. Like you have to be that guy. You have to like, this is like where method acting comes in in like Hollywood, right? Like when, uh, when Daniel Day-Lewis has to get into a role, he like becomes that guy. Like in The Last of the Mohicans, he like lives in the forest for like six months. Mm -hmm. Like you have to become that character. Well, the character that you're trying to become is this attractive version of yourself. So be that guy. Do everything you can to take on that guy's mindsets, his mannerisms, his behaviors, his habits, everything. And what you'll realize is that's where transformation comes in. That's when you actually start to believe you're that guy. You actually start to become that guy. And you, you're no longer flipping a light switch and being like, oh, I'm Mr. Player guy because I'm in a club. And you're starting to do that at work. And you start to see, you're starting to do that with your friends and everywhere. And people start to see a change because that's really what you want. You want this metamorphosis. You want to become this attractive guy. And so in attraction, that's their first baseline thing that you do is do everything the attractive guy does. And then when you get more tactical, then you have things like compliance, buying temperature, like the, the verbal things, the, the body language things, you know, the other individual things that supplement it. But that's the major concept in what we teach in terms of how we get attraction. Because a lot of times attraction happens, man, and as, uh, as you know, Chris, you know, before you open your mouth, it happens you know, uh, across the room or it happens like with a smile. It happens with just the confidence of eye contact. So that stuff has to build on that strong base. Yeah, no, I think I think this is this is great. It's funny because I, I was in, I was uh, doing an interview earlier today. I mean, we've been doing a lot of these interviews, and I was watching a guy and uh, some videos of infield of the guy, and he was one of the better guys that I've seen because he just like understood. He couldn't break down a lot of the concepts in a technical way, but he understood them innately, and uh, and he had kind of developed himself into an attractive guy, and uh, it was interesting to watch watch and then talk to him about how much of that he actually understood. But, uh, it's, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. What do you, what do you think? You mentioned a couple different ideas. You talked about kind of buying temperature. Um, yeah. can you explain what that is and also explain what compliance is for the people out there who don't know? Yeah. So what you're looking for and, and women know this kind of instinctively, and that's kind of where we've learned this from two places, science and, and kind of the science around social interactions and from women and women inherently know the concept of investment. And if you read influence by Robert Cialdini, he goes pretty in depth into the idea of compliance and investment. Basically it works like this. Um, the more someone is invested, the more they like you. That's kind of the general concept, right? Um, the more they're complying, the more that they invest in you, the more they're going to have feelings for you, right? And so in addition to, you know, obviously the, this overall concept of like being this attractive guy, tactically, one of the things that we have in our favor is the ability to use compliance, investment, and buying temperature in order to create this sense of attraction. Attraction is something that you create you know, kind of passively in terms of being that guy, in terms of doing the thing that, that guy does. It's also something you create actively. And when you create it actively, it's because you're, you're doing things that create attraction the same way that you can say things that create laughter, right? So laughter in, in, in itself doesn't necessarily create attraction, right? It's one of the precursors sometimes, but it doesn't inherently create it. The, the main idea is compliance. You're always, always looking for compliance. And compliance is, is almost synonymous with investment. It's basically somebody, um, 
it's someone like investing in the interaction. It's someone working with you. It's someone like in the case of like an interaction with a woman, compliance and investment are what you do when you take her out to dinner, right? Or you, you, you buy a drink for her. That is inve- you are investing in this interaction. When she holds your hand, you hold, go to hold her hand and she holds it and she doesn't pull away. That is her investing, right? Now that's passive investment, but it's still investment. Because uh, a lot of girls are expecting you to lead. Most, in fact, are. So a lot of times, they won't necessarily grab your hand. You have to do that leading a lot of times. So, but that's investment, right? You're trying to get as much of that investment as you can because that's one of the main precursors to this feeling of attraction. Um, and women know this, which is why they're, if a woman likes you and she's trying to date you or whatever, she's trying to you know, uh, get to know you, she's looking for those same things. That's why a woman will say things like, hold my drink. They don't really need you to hold their drink, right? Sometimes they'll say like, hold my purse, whatever. Yeah, sometimes she's whatever, tying her shoes. But a lot of times it's like, why am I doing this? Or she'll like say like, buy me a drink or like, she'll, she'll ask you to do things for her. And you're like, why? It's because women inherently know, they kind of instinctively know that investment is one of the principles to attraction. And so they want you to invest and they want, they don't want it just to be them chasing you. They want this to be a, a mutual seduction or a mutual like connection of getting to know each other. So the way buying temperature plays into this and buying temperature is a term we use from sales, um, and marketing and stuff, buying temperature is how excited someone is emotionally, like how excited their emotional state is. So if you go to a car dealership, you're 16 years old, your parents are like, I'm going to buy a new car, like a new whatever Mustang. You go to this, this dealership, your buying temperature is extremely high. You're excited about this idea of you're like, you're getting a new car. Like you're ready to buy, you're, you're just super excited about it. That emotional state is called your buying temperature, right? And so salespeople know that when the buying temperature is high, the product is interchangeable. So if you go to a dealership, you want a V8 Mustang or whatever, and they don't have a V8 Mustang, and the guy leaves, goes to another dealership, and then instead sees a V8 Camaro, whatever, right? Because his buying temperature is high, he's likely going to buy the Camaro or another kind of replaceable type, type car. He's not super attached, generally speaking, to a specific thing because his buying temperature is high. He's just ready to buy almost anything, right? So in in dealing with in human interactions and, and dating and everything, buying temperature is important because buying temperature is the currency that purchases investment. That's how you have to look at it, right? So when guys are like, I can't kiss the girl, she's like not comfortable, whatever, right? It's like, yeah, there's several things going on here, right? If she's not kissing you or she doesn't want to, whatever, hang out with you or go on a date with you or whatever, any kind of investment you're not getting, the idea is one, she's got to be comfortable, right? So if you're weirding her out, if you're like creeping her out, you're standing too close to her, you're like touching her inappropriately, whatever, like that's going to destroy everything. Let's assume that she's not weirded out by you, right? What you're missing here is that compliance. And in order to get it, don't do things like beg, manipulate, cajole, like bribe her. That doesn't work. Like don't try to change her mind. Like as one of the other coaches is, you know, Tyler, he's always like change her mood, not her mind. Like just same thing as like when you're trying to get your kid to do something like don't like try to logically convince him right change the mood change like how they feel right that's the main thing so if say a woman is uh is you're talking to her on the phone and she just won't hang out with you she like won't like meet up with you but she's she'll talk to you on the phone you have a limited amount of investment and in that she's talking to you on the phone but she's not um she's not investing uh, in terms of like going out to, to hang out with you. She's not willing to do that. What you need to do instead of like trying to give her reasons to hang out with you, like, oh, I have this nice car or whatever, like logical reasons, that doesn't work because she's logically already deduced. I don't want to hang out with this guy. What you want to do is change her emotions. 
So the buying temperature is things like if you can, let's say you're in that exact scenario and suddenly <clears throat> every time she talks to you, she laughs. She's laughing the whole time. She's it's just super funny. You guys are always joking around. You're always laughing. She's, every time she gets on the phone, she's laughing. Now, what's happening is she has this very positive emotional state of laughter associated with you. Now, when it's time to, hey, let's go on a date or let's hang out or whatever, now you're much more likely to get that investment because she's associating you with humor. She's associating you with having a good time. It's not just a, you know, it's just a, well, should I go with him or not? It's, I have fun with him. So that's a, an example of buying temperature influencing compliance. Your buying temperature, you're increasing buying temperature, in this case through humor, and that increases compliance. Now she wants to hang out with you. Now that sounds really like technical and everything, but that's what every, all of us do on a daily basis. If like your friend calls up, like your old friend from high school is like, let's hang out. And you're like, yeah, you're boring. Like, I don't like, we have nothing in common. Like you might not think that, but you just aren't that excited about hanging out. Conversely, let's say your friend who's like really funny and always has a good time, he wants to go out on Friday, you're much more likely to do that even though you might not even be as close to him. Now that doesn't make sense logically, but it does make sense from a buying temperature point of view. It does make sense from a, this guy's a lot of fun, I associate that with that, and that, now there's that investment. We All of us do this on, on a daily basis. So what we're doing is we're, for, for guys that don't instinctively get why this is happening, we're deconstructing it to show them this is ABC, this is how it gets done. This is how we create attraction, this is how we get investment, get compliance, this is how we work with buying temperature. That's great. I mean, you're talking about a lot of co really complex ideas. Like I tried to break them down in, into maybe their simplest form. So essentially you're talking about, you're asking someone, or in this case, you're asking a woman to do something, for example, to hold your drink or uh, to hold your hand or to move with you in a bar or uh, to kiss you or to call you back at a certain time, whatever, but you're asking her to do something and whether or not she does it is based on kind of how she's feeling in the moment, right? Like how attracted yeah. she is to you how, uh, or how comfortable she feels. And based on whether or not she does it, you kind of know where you're at. You know where her boundary is, at least with you in that moment, in those circumstances. Would you, would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the, the really important things about compliance testing is um, a lot of, as, as, as guys, we don't really like, we don't read cues from girls that well, like instinctively, like girls kind of feel things like because we're not that in touch with our feelings and our emotions, like girls would be like, why didn't that guy like notice I was throwing myself at him? We're like, cause we, we kind of have to be hit over the head with a hammer. So like we don't pick up a lot of those cues. So we're always kind of testing to see where we're at because we're not that perceptive with picking things up in, in a sense of, of how girls are, are communicating that to us. And sometimes girls just don't communicate it to it. Sometimes they just like expect us to be mind readers. Well, they, they just don't give any signals out. They're like, you should just know. <laughs> like, that's great and everything. I like your Disney fantasy, fantasy but <laughs> we don't really know. So we're testing to see where we're at to make sure the girl is comfortable and you know, everything's good and we can move forward. I think testing is the right word too. Like, I mean, really everything is a test, right? Like yeah. when you approach her, it's a test. When you, when you, uh, make a joke, you're kind of testing to see whether or not it hits. Uh, you're, when you try to touch, you are testing and even something as, as normal as like a handshake, which is part of the normal ritual for kind of going from a stranger to an acquaintance is essentially a test, right? Like if she thinks that you talked about this earlier, you talked about fashion and grooming when you can do a lot of details in the grooming, but if you have spot like a uh, sores all over your face and your hand, she might get worried about touching you. Um, yeah. but essentially like everything's a, a test and, and, uh, 
and it moves into this idea that you're talking about about compliance like when you test you look at based on how she responds to that uh like a well you, you basically you are looking at how she responds to that and then you're making kind of decisions on what to do next where she's at in the interaction based on that i think this is just really quite good advice. Um, do, can you give us just a couple, I know we're getting towards the end of this, but can you give us just a couple different ways that people can check uh, compliance or buying temperature or test to see where they're at in an interaction? Uh, yeah. Um, I think in earlier on in the interaction, uh, when you're talking to a girl, um, what we like to do is don't, don't, unless you're approaching her direct with direct interest, I tell guys, don't give her your name. Because that's a way to test to see how invested she is. Because a girl that likes you or a girl that like, wants to get to know you better is going to start asking you questions about yourself. But if you're constantly giving her the answer before she can ask you the question, she's not really going to be able to ask. So it's a really big waypoint when a girl's like, what's your name? Now, some, yeah, there's going to be like 20% of the time that girls do that just to be polite, right? But if you never introduce yourself, you'll start to see like a change when she says, what's your name? Because now she's actually interested in who you are. And that doesn't necessarily mean she wants to go home with you, but it's the first step in getting to know somebody. Like they're actually, and then in this case, this is the girl investing in you. And so um, when you meet somebody, you like, you walk up and you talk to a group of women, say in a nightclub or in a bar or whatever, um, don't introduce yourself. Just go into whatever the conversational, hey, what's up? Uh, don't necessarily give me your name, whatever. And then when they ask for your name, then you'll, and obviously don't ask for their name because they'll, it'll, it'll happen at, you know, just organically. But um, you'll notice when they ask for your name, that'll give you a big clue. That'll be your test. When they ask for your name, uh, this is another thing. Uh, don't, um, uh, or look at when they face you. Because they're not going to, most of the time, they're not facing you directly when you're talking to them, right? Like they're with their body, not just with their face. So look for their shoulders to square up with you because that's another test, right? So uh, when they square up with you, again, it means they're a little bit more invested. It means that they're a little bit more interested in who you're about or what you're talking about or whatever, right? So those are little tests you can do kind of early on um, that tell you kind of where you're at. And there's, there's thousands of these different things, right? Um, but those are some easy ones that I don't want to, uh, guys to like get in their head and like thinking about these things, but just two quick ways where you kind of know kind of, you know, what's going on. Another way, uh, another thing guys get kind of caught up on is, is how do I know she's ready to be kissed? Uh, I wish someone had told me this a long time ago because I never would have gone through all these like stupid like magic trick gimmicks, right? <laughs> but like, would you like to kiss me? Like <laughs> all these weird things, right? It's weird. Here's the easiest way to do it. Just get closer to her. <laughs> Find an excuse to get your face close to hers and see what she does. That is the easiest, most foolproof way to do that. So like we had a guy who was a game programmer. I just told him to sit on the couch, show her your freaking game on your phone and get really close to her to show, because it's a fucking iPhone screen, it's small, you know what I mean? Get really close to her, when you're really close to her, kind of look at her, to, like check in while you're talking, your face is gonna be really close to her. If her face is really close to yours, you guys are having a good time, and she doesn't pull away, stop talking. Like stop talking and pause between sentences for like a few seconds, it'll create tension. If you do that and she doesn't pull away, she's ready to be kissed. That's the easiest way to do it, just get close, like slow your conversation down, even pause for a few seconds, and then wait for her to pull away. If she doesn't pull away, she's ready. Like I wish I had known that because that's such an easy test to go with. Aside, like then I don't have to like set up all these complex like questions and things for her to do. I just got to get close, get close, and see how comfortable she is in proximity, really close to me. If she is, I don't have to do this massive like lunge forward to try to kiss her. She's right there. 
And so that's another easy test to make sure the girl's comfortable. I think this is great. Uh, I would like to go on forever, but I, I think I got to probably wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This has been incredible. And if you're listening, you want to learn more about DJ and his programs, we're going to post some links on the Craft Charisma website with, and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out more about him. Thanks again, DJ. Thanks, man. My pleasure. It's dating coach Chris Thoney here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and kind of communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.